What's shaking? Hey, I'm Rick Jordan. Today, we're going all in. All right, we're here, and I've got an amazing guest for you today. We were talking a little bit ahead of before we hit record for today's episode, and it was awesome because he's like, I want to talk anything motivational. I'm like, you know what? That's not me at all. Not at all. Not a bit. You know, if you're listening to this for the first time, just take a listen to like literally all of the 400 episodes, and you'll find that's totally not true. So today, this is going to be an amazing synced up in each other's heads conversation with Brandon Burns. What's shaking, Brandon? Oh man, I'm super excited to be here. Super excited to dive into this conversation. You know, I didn't mention this before we hit record, but I think your content is super necessary in today's mm-hmm. environment. Because as I was checking you out, when I was first introduced to your stuff, I was like, man, all of his clips are like 15 seconds or less. And I love it because you're not trying to be like super deep. You're just trying to tell people the truth and like, here's what works in real life. So I absolutely love that. I think uh, we're going to have some fun today. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. You know, what's interesting about that. I was just reading this week and going through with my team that TikTok and I think Instagram will follow because YouTube shorts kind of starts as the algorithm is apparently starting to favor longer form content, like 90 seconds and more. Uh, well, well, what you're saying is like, dude, I totally agree with you because I love those bite-sized chunks. It's like, I, I believe in this is motivational stuff, right? I believe that those small things can make a huge impact in people's lives because I know they have in mine, right? So those little yeah. things, it's like you can, you can sit down, you're a keynote speaker, so am I. You can sit down in front of an hour-long keynote, but it could just be one or two sentences that change your life for the rest of your life. That's why I love that stuff. So thank you, man. Thank you. Hundred percent. It's funny you mentioned that. Actually, I was just uh, speaking at an event in Orlando this past weekend, and one of the other presenters he had maybe a thirty-minute presentation that he gave, and he said this one sentence I'd never heard anybody say it before. He said, "Only dead fish go with the flow. Success is upstream." And of the, we were there for three days, Rick. <laughs> nice. We were there for three days. I was one of the speakers. The only thing I remembered from the entire weekend was that one quote. I was like that's the freaking one, you know, and it's so small and bite-sized, but it's memorable. So no, I'm, I'm right there with you. Those little like proverb, like little one liners. Those are so good. Right on, man. That's interesting that, you know, let's talk about this a little bit here. First, let's introduce everybody to you. Right. Cause I mean, you're a, you're a keynote speaker, as you said, you know, an elite athlete, viral influencer with over 50 million views on social media, but I love this, right? Two time big 10 championship winning coach. Can you tell me a bit yeah. about that? A hundred percent. So I was born and raised in a small town in, in Alabama, right outside of Huntsville. I started gymnastics when I was 10 years old. Gymnastics was my first love through and through, loved everything about the sport. When I was 18, I walked on to the University of Michigan. So, and I'm skipping a lot just so we can get to the meat of this, but understand I left everything, right? I'd yeah. never been more than one state away from Alabama. I grew up broke, so we never traveled anywhere. I'd been to Tennessee and Florida a couple of times, but never really gone far away from Alabama. Both my parents were sick. Um, so I left, I mean, literally left everything, moved across the country from Huntsville, Alabama to Ann Arbor, Michigan, walked onto the team, was cut four times in five years. Hmm. When I say that, most people think it's like a Rudy situation where there was this miraculous comeback on year five. It was actually the exact opposite. I was on the team year one, cut every subsequent year, time after time. And then I actually ended up staying in Ann Arbor for two more years. And I was two-time Big Ten Championship coach, like you said, from the same team that I was cut from. So it was just a, a crazy journey to go from, as I like to say, from cut to coach, tons of learning involved in that. 
uh, a lot of stress, but a lot of lessons that came from it for sure. Yeah, no joke. Can we dive into that a bit? Because that's intriguing to me, right? You get cut from the team, but yet at the same time, they see you as being able to coach, right? Yeah. Which is a, that, that's, is that like a lane thing or like a talent thing that you found out or what were your learnings from that experience? You know, I think it taught me to be authentic because what's interesting is I knew from day one that I wanted to be Phil Jackson and not Michael Jordan. Right. And what I mean by that is I always had a very strategic mind. I could look at something and say, oh, if you go cause and effect seven steps back, here's the root cause of why that skill went wrong. And here's exactly how to fix it. And here's a step by step plan on how to how to figure that out. I was just naturally good at identifying those gaps and explaining that. On the competitive side, I hated competing. Like, to be honest with you, the only reason I even wanted to walk onto the team at U of M was because in my mind as an 18 year old kid, I thought that was the only real way to stay involved in the sport of gymnastics. Cause I loved practicing. I loved training. I loved getting better. I loved the constant pursuit of excellence. I loved all of that. But you wanted me to get out there in front of hundreds of people in a big arena and then have this super competitive mentality. I didn't like that. And I knew that that wasn't really me, but in my mind, I thought, well, that's a, it's the only option and B that's what everybody expects of me. Right. I thought that it would be looked down upon if I said, you know what, I think I can actually contribute to this team more as a coach. I would enjoy it more as a coach. It would be less stressful. I would be more impactful. Um, but I didn't listen to that inner voice, you know, and I, I tried to do the competitive thing. I got really good in the process, learned a ton, got disciplined, everything else. Um, but I was, it was never meant me i was way more effective as a coach from day one that's intriguing man because i'm even thinking like with business right because i've got some some of my own learnings i'm going through right now the company just went public a few weeks ago you know and, mm -hmm. and, and as a ceo you know with a with a company with a little under 100 employees now we're going to have double that and and just probably about another six months because we're buying through acquisition we're growing through acquisition and i start to understand it's like i am there's way better things that i'm a coach at than there is things that I can actually do within the company. And I like to surround myself with those smart people. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I think it's an important lesson there, man, because it's, it's still a coach's job to help the team win the game yeah, you know, or, or, or do whatever it is, you know, score the best points. Cause you were talking gymnastics, right? To, to get the tens mm -hmm. all across the board, to win the tournaments, to, to do everything that they can do so that the team that you're there can represent itself properly as a whole, as a unit. Right. Right. Where I can see like the individual athlete or even like the individual performer in a business, those individual roles, there, there's some of it to where it's wrapped up in yourself mm. versus a coach has to zoom out all the time. That is like the 100% focus of the coach is to zoom out all the time versus being able to focus just on your own individual performance. It's a completely different mindset, bro. It is. It is. I think it's, it's a matter of the ability to zoom in and zoom out almost simultaneously at times, right? Because one of the biggest thing that I learned just from a leadership perspective going throughout that whole process was I had kind of assumed that because I was good at the technical aspects of coaching gymnastics, that I would be able to walk into the gym on day one of this new role and it was just gonna work out for me. Like I was gonna start getting results immediately. And I kind of noticed from the bat, I was getting half of the guys really good results and the other half, it was like there was this invisible barrier between what I was mm. saying and then what they would receive. And I knew from a technical perspective, the things that I was saying were correct, but it wasn't hitting home. And I learned pretty quickly that a shotgun approach, you know, 
maybe hit the target some of the times, but how much collateral damage do you cause in the process? Yeah. So I said, oh, okay, I got to treat each one of these guys as an individual. So absolutely, I've got to zoom out, see the big picture, be able to help make some of these decisions that maybe on an individual zoomed in level, these other athletes aren't going to be able to make in terms of overall strategic direction. But also I've got to be able to still zoom in enough to be able to connect with each individual athlete and say, oh, here's how you prefer to receive communication. Here's how it makes sense to you. Here's what you're motivated by. Here's what's important to you, right? Because it, it, it wasn't the same for everybody. I think That's with right, a, a yeah. business perspective, it's exactly the same way. If you try one size fits all, it's probably not going to work. Yeah. Dude, I love where our convo is going. Because so, I mean, for our, our listeners, it's like, I think, some of them want to be that coach right yeah. and also i believe everybody like i just dropped an episode or recorded it the other day about like five things you need to do for this coming year right and it, one of them was get a mentor you know which which we could call a mentor or coach and yeah in that whether you're going to be that coach or whether you're looking for that coach i think it's so important with what you're saying is you need to have one that has the ability to zoom in and zoom out if you have one that's just taking a shotgun approach, you're only going to get so far with that individual. And that was actually one of the points that I make too. It's like you can actually have coaches for a specific season of your life. And then that yeah. you outgrow what that coach is able to give to you. And I actually hope that, right? Even for you, dude, even for me, I always hope that that somebody outgrows what I'm able to teach them, which means, means they can move on and they can do bigger things than what I was even able to, but I still contributed. There's no ego there, dude. You know? I still like to win you know, when it comes to that. Right. It's, that's still ingrained in me, right? But at the same time, it's like, cool, I taught you everything I can know. Now go out and do something greater and, and get a different coach who can actually pour something different into you that I cannot. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that a coach has to take part ownership in both the wins and the losses, right? Whether we're talking about a CEO who's leading a team or a company, or we're talking about an actual athletics you know, situation, yeah. the coach is a part of both the win and the loss. Right. And it always used to strike me when I was coaching. It always struck me how many of these guys after a tough loss would stand there on a camera doing an interview and say, well, I can't compete for them. And it's like, well, yeah, but when they win, you're talking about, oh, well, I got to thank the coaching staff and we all work so hard. It's a team effort. It's like, wait a minute. How come you put yourself in there with the win, but not with the loss when we know the leadership starts from the top? You set the culture, you set the tone, you set the standards. And by the way, you are what those guys are modeling. Those guys and girls are modeling, whether again, coach of an athletics team or the coach of a business team. Because I think that the reason I was able to get buy-in with a lot of my guys at Michigan Gymnastics, even though a lot of these guys were the same people who had watched me go from training with them to literally a week later on my hands and knees cleaning trophies in the lobby of the gym, right? In that transition period from being a cut athlete to then becoming a coach, you know, they were still able to respect me because they saw the discipline. They saw the commitment. They saw the dedication. Yeah. They saw the wrist surgery, the shoulder problems, and still fighting after four years of getting cut over and over and over again. Even with the still feather duster the in your one. hand cleaning the, cleaning right. the trophies, <laughs> exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. That was my rehab was yeah. just the feather duster right there for the wrist. <laughs> that was the image and, I had know, in my head when you were saying that. Right. <laughs> But they, they saw that. And so I don't think that you necessarily as a coach, you don't necessarily have to be that person that has gotten all of the accolades yourself. Now, you can't just suck at whatever you're trying to teach. Like you have to have a certain level of credibility with the thing itself. I was still top 1% in the world in terms of athletics, whatever. I just wasn't able to compete at that particular level. So you got to have some sort of foundation there. 
But at the same time, they're important, looking at, important, man. do I trust this person? Yeah. yeah. Like they're looking at, do I trust this person in their decision-making? Do I trust this person, in their commitment? Do I think that this person has my best interest in mind and shows the personal qualities to lead me there? So yeah, yeah everything that you just said is spot on. Dude, I hope everybody's listening to you right now because it, it, it's still that world out there to where everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody wants to be a coach you know, on, on Instagram and everyone looks at someone like you and is like, man, if, if they can do it, so can I, right? But you're laying out some huge points for everyone today that there has to be that foundation to begin with. There has to be areas. And think about like keynotes, right? I'm going back to your shotgun approach. Dude, do you think that the same criteria or the same lessons apply to when you're on stage? Because that's another thing that people look up to. It's like, oh, I want to be on stage too. You know, right. I can't wait. But that shotgun approach even on stage is something that you got to understand. It's like half the people are going to hate you because of what, right, what you're saying right. just right <laughs> off the bat right because you have a specific message when you're on mm. stage and that message is really only for like a subset of people that are in the audience depending on not so much where you're at but even where they're at so it's a little bit difficult to go walk into a room and understand oh this is where everybody is unless you have a really targeted audience yeah yeah it's funny that you mentioned that uh one of my mentors or coaches in the speaking realm was eric thomas and he still is uh one of the top motivational speakers in the world and Good after dude, that whole yeah. saga you know of, of getting cut from the team and coming back to coach once i left michigan i actually started out my first job out of college was an unpaid internship with et and climbed the ranks started out doing admin work and customer service for free and then got hired full-time initially uh again admin because like literally yeah. spreadsheets all day long right climbed the ranks became his agent started negotiating gigs for him he helped launch my speaking career and now we got a couple of jvs together just crazy arc of that whole relationship but one thing that i learned from him really early on was two things number one exactly what you just said you know half the people are not going to like what you have to say yeah. and the other half are only going to like what you have to say if they believe that you are convicted like if you stand on it and you really believe it then you got that other half if you're kind of one foot in one foot out you're a little timid then even the other half who's resonating with the message even they're not going to like it because they feel like you're just full of it and you're just there for the the money or the check or being on stage yeah, or whatever yeah. So step one, believe in what you're saying from the bottom of your heart. Step two is, and he learned this because he was a pastor before he was a speaker. And so he was accustomed to having a different message yeah. every single Sunday. Really? I didn't really? know that. Yeah. So he was used to that same thing, have, having a different message every single weekend. Yeah. And so with our process, because I still do a lot of the booking for him now, we say, hey, client, what do you guys want? Like, what's your audience struggling with? What are the takeaways that they need? What's the context? What situation have you found yourselves in as a company, as a team over the last six months? And then we build a completely bespoke keynote out of that. And I do my speaking the exact same way. To me, it just shows that you care more about your audience than when you write your book and do the same four yeah, points right and 45 yeah. minute keynote for the next 20 years, you know, yeah, for sure. Dude, there's a, it's funny you mentioned that as I was tapping, you know, most people listen rather than watch the show. And it's like, yeah, I was. And, and regular listeners know that I was. I helped plant three churches. And you're right about that. Cause I did stand up on Broadway a few years ago. 
and that's tough it was yeah it was but when i walked off right because it's a there's a skill set so maybe there's maybe there's i don't know maybe there's some pastors listening today they're like you know i, I want to expand and do whatever right you know th they feel like they're growing into a different area of their life i don't know but when i was on there you know of course there's some things right as jokes when you're in there they the sizzle reels dude for stand-up there's there's laughter they find the best spots and everything and even like the netflix specials you know they're like an hour long for like fluffy right you go see them in person it's like two hours long because they're they're only taking the best stuff and putting it up there right. for the for the shit for the whatever but my coach for that i had a coach for that for stand-up when i did this challenge i had a coach for that too he's like dude you got that pastor blood ru running through you i'm like what do you mean <laughs> he's like when some jokes didn't land it didn't phase you you just kept rolling like you were preaching a sermon on sunday <laughs> like, dude, that's hilarious <laughs> yeah. oh man that's a great skill set to have the 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 hallmark of a pastor turned speaker or anything else is when you close for 30 minutes straight it's <laughs> yeah, like all right I'm, I'm getting out of here this yeah. is my last thing and then 30 minutes later you're still on stage that's, that's hilarious the of a pastor <laughs> oh my gosh I, I have intentionally tried to eliminate that from all of my talks right there for the close for whatever to end powerfully and swiftly you know that's gotta be the way to, it has so much more impact you know at least i've learned yeah. since those days anyways yeah the, the first the first lesson that you were talking about for me too you know tailoring the message to that specific mm -hmm. audience I think that's something that in addition to having like five signature talks for mm -hmm. a keynote speaker, because you should have those, you absolutely should things that you can go back to, because then when you know them, uh, I didn't know we'd get into speaking tips today. You know, uh, when you get, when you get to that point where you have those five signature talks and you know them beyond memorization, you can start to have fun with them. You can interchange right. stories with those and everything. But at the same time, dude, that's brilliant. I love your approach to be like, we're going to tailor it to, everybody who's in here today and same thing it's like with, with et he knows it's like if you read your audience and all of a sudden it's like something lands really really well you might mm -hmm. th within the first five minutes you might throw out the remaining 30 yeah. minutes of your keynote and just focus on the depth of that one single point because of the response and where everybody's condition of their hearts and their mind is in that room no, literally. And for anybody who might be listening, I don't know if we have any aspiring speakers on here, but the way that I always teach people to do exactly what you're talking about there. Yes, absolutely. Have your core three to five keynotes that you can do in your sleep. That's yeah. super important, especially for marketability, right? If you're for approaching sure. other event planners, you can say, hey, here's exactly what I talk about. But the key to being able to improv on stage as a speaker is I always tell people write down the top 10 moments of your life, write down the top 10 low points of your life right? And then give me a story for each one. So for me, one of those would be cut from the team four times in five years. One of the low points would be uh, suicidal ideation when I was in my teenage years, right? So, and I got stories that go along with each of these of how I got there, how I got through it, etc. Then give me three different morals of the story. So for the gymnastics thing, I can talk about work ethic. I can talk about staying committed, even when it's not easy. I can talk about uh, persistence. I can talk about resiliency. I can talk about getting back up. Like there's a bunch of different nuanced little ways that I can break down that story and it changes the way that I deliver it. And then it's like, it's your life. So you're not going to forget it. And now I've got 10 highlights, 10 lowlights with three different lessons attached for each put in a story format. That's 60 stories that I can tell on stage. If it takes me 10 to 12 minutes to do that, I'm never running out. I don't care what you yeah, want me to talk dope. about. Yep. I can do 45 minutes. Anytime, yep. place, anywhere. Right on. Dude, that's brilliant. Tactical advice, dude. That's amazing. Well, 
we've gone directions that I hadn't anticipated today. We ended up getting into like coaching all the aspiring speakers and all of the aspiring. Uh, what else did we talk about? <laughs> Coaches, coaching, mentors. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like wow, we're just having such a good time. All right, dude, let's stop right there for today because this has been an amazing conversation. We're going to move into part two. So everyone, in the meantime, go check out Brandon because this has just been incredible. Even what he's told you today has been just insanely awesome. That's why we're going to have a sequel to this coming up at the very next date, which will be in two days or it'll be next week. One of the two. All right, Brandon, dude, you're amazing. Where can people find you in the meantime? Man, I appreciate that so much. All my social media is exactly the same. I am B Burns on all social media, or you can check out I am B All right, part two coming up. 